We're starting a series of lessons today under the theme, Prophets and Prophecy. And we're going to study the Bible together in order to have clarity and enlightenment in this area that I think has brought really a lot of unnecessary confusion and quite a lot of misunderstanding. And I think because we do not try to teach on this area in full, then we have some of our dear ones who truly have done things that cannot be substantiated scripturally. We note that there are patterns today wherein people are thrown into schools or schools of prophets as they are called. And we find lay people going there in large numbers and if you attend these schools, you can be made to be a prophet in a matter of three weeks or four weeks. All that people believe or somehow assume that if somebody is a prophet, they ought to be prophesying 24-7, 365 and a quarter days. It's very important for us to maintain that healthy balance to say that much as we see some of these practices, we need to rather go back to God's word and just check what was the practice in the Bible. And so it's of great importance, therefore, as we study this topic I'd love to admonish every one of you, please, to make sure that uh, you check the accuracy of what we are teaching or what we are preaching. Be like the Christians in Berea, where Acts 17, 11 says about them, these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things be so. I love it in the New Living Translation. It says, and the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. So, you owe it to yourself to do likewise. I'm aware as well that during this series, several questions might arise, things that you may want us to address or some questions that you have, please feel free to send these questions either on our Twitter account and the account is at Bishop Musasono or you can get on our Facebook Grace Bible Church Soweto or you can email your questions to biblestudy at gracebiblechurch.org.za Would love definitely to come back to those questions. Obviously I can't do them in this service now but in the series of these lessons, which will go through this entire month, we will be able to answer those questions. Now, in this series, we're going to cover the following areas and discuss the following. And there's eight of them, all right? We will not restrict ourselves to these eight, but these might be areas of great interest that you may want to know about. First question we want to answer is, are there prophets today? I mean, you know, I mean... <laughs> Can we expect prophets to be there today, or rather, if there are prophets, is it, should it be so under the New Testament? I mean, didn't the ministry of the prophet end in the Old Testament? 
other prophets today. Secondly, if there are prophets, if the answer is a yes, what is it that constitutes the office of a prophet? In other words, how will I know that this is a prophet? What is it that I can do to be able to tell this is a prophet? Is it the way they look? Is it the way they walk? Is it the dress code? Is it how they preface everything they're going to say that says the Lord? How do I know if it's a prophet? Is it that they shake? Is it that maybe they feel something going down their spine? Maybe you're sitting next to one. Who knows? But how do I know? They're trying to look like one. <laughs> Number three. Under the new covenant, is it scriptural to seek guidance through the ministry of the prophets? Simply put, can I consult prophets to ask them to tell me about the future? Is it right to do so? If I need guidance, do I go to a prophet and say, I have this decision to make. What does God say? You know, is it right? And if I go to them, do I offer them something? Money, prayer, whatever. You know, what, what do I do? And those are very important questions. Look at your neighbor and say, you look so surprised and you look so shocked, but it's quite, it's quite interesting. Eh? Number four. We're going to look at building our lives on God's word and not on the spectacular or supernatural manifestations. Now, this is important, Barcelona. The supernatural is part and parcel of our walk with God. All right? God does miraculous things. It's, it's part of our faith. It's part of what happens when we walk with God. But how do I keep that balance wherein I need to involve the spectacular, rather the supernatural move of God, but not get bogged down in the spectacular, you know? I mean, there are times when God is with us and he's present, but I may not see certain things, you know? How do I keep that healthy balance and be founded and build my life on God's word and not just on the miraculous as much as they're important? Number five, how do we avoid the pressure of performance? When people minister under the anointing, because sometimes when people minister under the anointing, you know, they'd love to perform and do certain things. And, 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 and you know, things get said, things get done in the name of the anointing. How do we avoid that pressure? Number six, how do we discern between the spirit of God and familiar spirits? You know, how do I know? I mean, how do I know if the power that is at, at play is of God? Or it's, it's not God involved. How do I know if it's God or his familiar spirit? Number seven, what are the misconceptions that are there today relative to the prophet's office? For instance, like I mentioned, one of the things that people may be expecting that, you know, if somebody's a prophet, they prophesy 24-7, 365 and a quarter days, you know? And then number eight, which is, I think this is going to be very, very important. How can I judge the accuracy of personal prophecy? In other words, if I get prophesied on, how do I know if it's right what is being said or not? Because let's tell the truth, people. All of us, you know, I don't, I don't, want, I don't, want, to, I don't want to stand against what God wants to do in my life, do you? And I'm very careful not to call things that are done and, and, and give them names, and, and yet God, is, in, God is, is actually in manifestation. So how do I know? I mean, if somebody comes in the name of God, and speaks a word of prophecy, how do I know if it's meant is from God or not? And how do I know if it applies to my situation or not? And this is going to be important. So today, we want to try and answer the first two questions very briefly. And please be aware, we cannot explore this fully just in this short space of time that we have. But we want to talk about these two questions. Are there prophets today? And if there are prophets today, 
what constitutes the office of a prophet. All right? So we want to use Ephesians. If you can go with me, please. We want to go to the book of Ephesians. Now, let's start first of all in 1 Corinthians. Excuse me. Let me find my place here. I just took this away from me. Let's go first of all to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 27. If I could have it in the King James and NIV Bible, I think that will help us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 27 to verse 31. I'm going to read it off the screen and I would encourage everybody to read along with me, please. All right? Will you join me in reading? Are you, going, are you all frozen this morning? Are you all okay? All right. Can you join me today in reading? All right. Let's read together. Now you are the body of Christ and members in particular. And God has set some in the church. Read with me. First apostles. Yeah. Thirdly. After that. Then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show you unto you a more excellent way. All right. So I just want us to read these verses with you. We're going to use them as a backdrop of our discussion. All right. Retanerinka here and there. Take a bit there, a bit there from those verses. Can we go to chapter 14, please? And, and, and if you had the NIV Bible, it would be very helpful. First Corinthians 14 or the New American Standard Bible. Maybe that would even be better. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, from verse 1 to verse 5. It's NIV. It says, uh, NIV, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially what? Can you have the New American Standard Bible, please, if you have that one? New American Standard Bible. Hearing, pursue love and yet desire earnestly spiritual gift, but especially that... Keep it there, keep it there, keep it there. I love it in the New American Standard Bible. It says we must desire to prophesy. All right? Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say desire to be a prophet. Do you, do you have somebody who's sleeping next to you? Let's say. See, you see, this is one of the verses that's used by people. And people say, look, I desire. I desire to be a prophet. But the Bible never said you must desire to be a prophet. Okay, you you can't you can't yeah you can't just desire to say I want to be a prophet. You can't do that. But it says desire to prophesy. Okay, there's a difference between prophesying and being a prophet. Big difference. Everybody here can prophesy, but not everybody here is a prophet. Everybody here can evangelize, but not everybody here is an evangelist. Yeah, there's a difference. Big difference. Okay, so it says here, desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, keep that in mind. We will read. Let's, 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 let's keep going until verse 5. It says, verse 2, no one who speaks in a tongue, for one who speaks in a tongue, you've abandoned me now. Yeah? You've abandoned me now. Okay, let's read together. For one who speaks in a tongue, does not speak to men, but to God. 
for no one understands, but in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Keep going. Verse 3. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation or comfort. Keep it there. Keep it there. Keep it there. Now note. Everyone who does what? You can see it. Everyone who does what? One who does what? One who does what? He didn't say one who is a prophet. It says one who does what? One who prophesies. Uh, for, speaks to men for what? Yeah. Yeah. One translation says and comfort or consolation. All right. Okay, keep going. Verse 4. It says one who speaks in a tongue does what? Does what? Now, the word edify is an old English word. It simply means to build yourself up. Build yourself up. Either you encourage, you know, we, we kind of siguti uh, exhort. Siguti edify, siguti build up. So one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. In other words, the speaking in tongues in this instance that Paul is talking about only benefits the one who's speaking in tongues. They get built up. They get encouraged. They get edified. It encourages them in their walk with God. It adds to them. But the one who prophesies builds the church up. Now, now go to the next verse. Verse 5, it says, Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would do what? Watch now, it says, for greater is one who does what? Than one who? Watch, 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 what eating unless. Oh, 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 Unless. Unless. Greater is the one who prophesies than he who speaks in an unknown tongue. Unless. Have you ever had somebody say to you, 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 you know your hairstyle is, is, is nice, but. Anybody, anybody has ever said that to you? You know, you know, anybody, how many of you know the word but, the word unless, is about to, 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 to change or alter what was said, okay? One who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in a tongue unless he does what? Unless he does what? Unless he does what? Interpret so that what happens? The church may do what? Receive what? Now, hold it there. Okay, let me have my, my young people, all of them, the four young people, in the first service. I want to show you. How late is it? Where's my four young people? What? No, 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 no. They were five. There were five. There was, there was another five. Okay. Oh, Mrut. You are, a, you are a young people. One of our young pastors. Now, now, let me just go back a bit whilst our young pastor is making his way to the front. And explain something to you. You see, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13 and 14, many Bible scholars say, those three chapters should be one chapter. You do know that the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse. Okay. You do know, ne? 
It was the translators of the Bible who put it in chapter and verse. When, when, when Paul was prophesying and when, when Jeremiah was prophesying, he said, chapter one. <laughs> verse two. For before you came forth, I knew you. Verse three. And I sanctified you to be a prophet unto the nation. It is the translator. So, many Bible scholars believe that chapter 12 of Corinthians 13 and 14 should really be one chapter. Paul discusses a number of very important topics there in no particular order. He talks about the operation of the gifts of the Spirit within a church service or the church as a whole. But this time, let's talk about within a church service. Because in the church at Corinth, when you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he commends that church for being a church in which there is an operation of the gifts of the Spirit. He says to them, you know, you come behind in no gift. You know, part and parcel of what we should allow in the church is for the manifestation of the gifts of the Spirit. But Paul writes to them because there was an abuse of the gifts of the Spirit. See, see, very often as human beings, we mess up the things that God does. You know, so he's really trying to correct the excesses. He's not discouraging them from operating. He's just saying, no, don't have confusion in the church. Don't, don't do things because God is not a God of confusion in, in, in chapter 14. Says, he says, God is a God of order. All right. So, and then he, he, he really then goes to chapter 13. And I'm not talking in any particular order. And he's trying to show people that the greatest of all of these things is love. Because even if you can have all these gifts operate, but you don't have love, it's just useless. It's, it's just... Uh... But then, chapter 14, he says, follow after charity, but desire spiritual gifts. He's not saying one is better than the other. He's saying they've got to operate together. Look at your neighbor who's dozing off and say, you must operate together. That's how people are dozing off. The way they cut that zinka thing, some of you, you're already dozing off. Some people are in the front row. Lord, forgive them now. Hey. Are you there, everybody, right? So now he comes to this particular topic where Paul is correcting the church in Corinth because, and many scholars say, it's, it seemed to be very obvious that when they came for a church service like this one, as they were worshiping and having church, the gifts of the Spirit would go into operation. And then people in the name of being led by the Spirit or inspired by the Spirit, they would do all kinds of things. One of them would get up and speak in tongues. So we will call her tongues. Call her tongues. All right. So they will get up. This is a different tongue. The other tongue is gone. Okay. Yeah. We'll call her tongues now. Try to look like tongues. Eh? <laughs> so somebody would get up and speak in tongues. All right. In public assembly. So it's almost like now during the service, I get up here and I start speaking in other tongues. And Paul is saying now, when you speak in tongues... First of all, you are speaking in a language that people don't understand. Ne? Only God understands what you are saying. Leo and myself, I understand the ruling. Some of you, you are acting like you understand what you are saying. So he says, if you, if you are speaking to men and you are speaking to people in a language that they don't understand, they do not get edified. You are not helping them. They are not getting built up. They are not getting comforted, exhorted, and edified when you, when you speak in tongues. Only 
right? However, when you prophesy, you're prophesying. Because you are speaking in a language people can understand. And you are prophesying. You are speaking to men for edification, comfort, and exhortation. He says, therefore, he that prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless you interpret. When you interpret these tongues, because you interpret in a language that we can understand, then tongues plus interpretation is equals to prophecy. Are you understanding? So Paul is not favoring tongues, a prophecy, over and above tongues. He's saying, no, 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 no. You can use tongues in your own private prayer life. You can pray because you edify yourself. You are speaking to God and not to man. So it's okay if you do that. But if God was to use you to address the public and give a word to them and it comes out in tongues, it must be interpreted. Because if you don't interpret it, then people don't understand what you're saying. Unless you interpret. And when you interpret, it is good for exhortation, comfort, and edification. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you, Basalan? Now note, Basalan, watch this now. This practice is accessible and anybody who is a child of God can participate in this as the Spirit wills. We all can speak in tongues and interpret and we all can prophesy. But prophesying doesn't make us prophets. Are you understanding me? Because to be a prophet, there are certain distinct qualifications, if I may call them, and requirements to be in a prophet, in the office of a prophet. That's why I call it an office of a prophet or the ministry of a prophet. That's why we use those terms. You, you, you have to have certain qualifications. But this can be a practice. And you know, Rosalina, to be honest with you, Sometimes I wonder why we're not encouraging a lot of that. And maybe some of us have walked away from it and, uh, because of sometimes the abuse that's there. That, you know, people want to come to the front and do all kinds of strange things. You see? Now, and Paul says this can happen in a church service. Can I hear an amen? amen. Give our three, our five young people a big hand. Amen. Give them a big hand. All right, now. Now. Let's answer the question. Are there prophets today? Well, some would tell us that the office of the prophet has been done away with. But there is no scriptural evidence of that. There's nowhere where the Bible says for us in the New Testament, prophets have been done away with. In fact, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 4 to show you something. Let's have it in the NIV Bible, please. Or the New American Standard Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, but each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. All right? This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. He's talking about Jesus. He gave gifts to his people, or he gave gifts to men. Verse 9. 
What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. He's talking about Christ. Now, verse 11. This is talking about Christ died, raised from the dead, who has ascended into heaven. So it says, so Christ himself gave. When Christ ascended to heaven, he gave these gifts or these ministries. He gave, I love it in the King James Bible, some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So, the, what we call the fivefold ministry gift. All right? Are you there, Pastor? You remember, ne? The fivefold ministry gift. Do you know how to remember them? Do you know how to remember them? Can I have your right hand? Can you put out your right hand, please, if you can? Put out your right hand. All right? If you want to remember them, it's very easy. Okay? All right? You have the, the thumb. Uh, forgive me, I don't want to call these fingers because then I don't know what the other ones are called, but I know this one. <laughs> You'll help me. I've got capable young people in front here. Okay. This is the thumb. It's called a thumb, ne? Thumb. Whether it's left or right, it's still the same thumb. I see you changing hands. You still have a thumb on the other hand. Forgive. Now, this thumb can touch on all the other fingers. All right? So, in Ephesians uh, 4, it says God gave apostles. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says God gave first apostles. So this, the, the, the office of an apostle, this is the one who is uh, pioneers churches, plants churches, goes into virgin territory, right? To infiltrate areas that have been, not been reached by the gospel. And a prophet, there are times when they can operate, I mean the apostle rather, they can operate as a prophet, they can operate as an evangelist, they can operate as a uh, pastor and they can operate as a teacher. Okay. So the apostle can operate in any of those offices. But uh, the name apostle simply means a sent one. A sent one. Jesus was sent. He, the Bible calls him the apostle and high priest of our faith. He was sent by God. Okay. So uh, an apostle means a sent one. You are sent to a nation. You are sent on an assignment. You are sent to go inside a church. Today we talk about missionaries. Really, missionaries are people who are sent to go into nations to start churches. And that's a simplistic definition, really. It doesn't, yeah. So, so you have the, the apostle. Have you got your hands? I think you were right. You must do the left one because it's going to have a very important one. Try the left one. The other, the other right, some of you. The, the, the. Okay, so here we are. Yeah. And then you have this one. The prophet. They warn Tell you about the future. Tell you about God's wrath. Be, be careful. And then you have this one. Who's standing out. In the middle. What do you call this finger? <laughs> yeah? Middle finger. I thought it had a more fancier name than that. The middle finger. The middle finger, this one stands out. This is the one who goes out. That's the evangelist. The evangelist goes out into the world. Goes out to go and win people to the Lord. Goes out to other nations. Goes out to enrich people. And then you have this one. And I at least... The lover of them all. That's the pastor. Yeah. 
That's the, that's the father of the home, the one who pastors us and loves us and takes care of us. That's a pastor. And then you have this one. The teacher helps you to clear the ear and understand. All right. So, you know, when you look at your left hand next time, you know that... Uh, now, now, the Bible says, it's God who gave these. He gave the apostle. He gave the prophet. He gave there, it says, the evangelist. He gave the pastor and the teacher. God gave these people. Why? Verse 12 tells us why God gave us this gift. To equip his people for works of service. These fivefold ministries are there to equip us as God's people. So when we stand here and preach and teach and do what? We are equipping you so that you should serve God. You should do works of service. You should be involved in the work of God. You, you see, this service, Barcelona, we are in, we're in a university this morning to get equipped. Yeah. And the exam is the good works that we do and the fruitfulness that we show. To equip people for God's service. So that the body of Christ, not just the local church, should what? Should be built up. So the body of Christ gets built up. It develops, it grows when everybody is doing what they should be doing. You are not here by, 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 by mistake. You are not here by coincidence. You are here to be equipped in the name of the Lord Jesus. To be equipped for works of service. To be equipped for your destiny. To be equipped for what God has called you to do. And that's why on this platform, really, we should have all these ministry gifts come and get expressed. We shouldn't just be exposed to the pastor's office. We should be exposed to the apostle's office, the prophet's office, the evangelist's office. We need all of them so that we are equipped for works of service. I love it. So that the body of Christ should be built up. Now note verse 13. Verse 13. Until... Until, in other words, these gifts will be on earth and will be operational until. In other words, before the until comes, these gifts will still be operational. Until we all reach the unity in the faith. And we all reach the unity in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I, I want to tell you people, we haven't reached that point yet. As God's children around the world, we haven't reached that point. One, first of all, there's many nations of the world that have not even been reached by the gospel. Number two, even of those nations where we are reached by the gospel, it's still a very small percentage of people who have been reached by the gospel. And even those of us who are in church, we haven't grown yet. There's still disunity. There's still fighting. There's still all kinds of things among us. We are still under construction. How many of you can say amen to that? Yeah. We, we are not where God wants us to be there for because we haven't yet reached that until these five-fold ministry gifts will still be operational. So let's come back to our question. Do we have prophets today? Of course, yes. Definitely. Why? Because we are still under construction. Their role is still needed. Can I hear an amen, Bazalan? Prophets didn't end with the Old Testament. Prophets are also operational in the New Testament. Now, ah, so many things I want to say. 
But let me come to this. Let's come to our next question. Then what constitutes the office of a prophet? I'm just going to talk about one aspect of it. Okay. What constitutes the office of a prophet? If we say prophets are there today, what constitutes the office of a prophet? One great scholar commenting on this topic says concerning the prophet, the prophet speaks from the impulse of sudden inspiration. That's what the prophet does. The prophet speaks from the light of a sudden revelation at the moment. And when the prophet speaks from sudden inspiration, they speak relating either to the future events or the mind of the spirit in general. In other words, a prophet speaks by direct divine inspiration and immediate revelation. It's not something that they thought up, but it's something that is given to them at the spare of the moment by sudden inspiration. Now, no, this is very, very important. To stand in the office of a prophet, we need to differentiate between Old Testament prophets and New Testament prophets on a, on a minor detail. Prophets in general must first of all be people who are called, first of all, to be ministers of the gospel. Like we talked about the fivefold ministry gift. So, you know, you have to be called like a pastor is called, like a teacher is called, an evangelist is called, a, a, an, an apostle is called. You are first called, first of all called, as a minister of the gospel. Now that's important because it means, therefore, the prophet... Their first responsibility is to be a minister of the gospel. What does it mean? To preach, to teach, and minister the gospel. So the prophet does not prophesy 24-7, 365 and a quarter. In fact, when you read the Bible, you will know that even the prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, they didn't prophesy all the time. They didn't. There's times when they didn't prophesy. They did other things other than prophesy. So if we meet somebody in the name of being the prophet who's prophesying 24-7, 364 and a quarter days, go up. Then it is not in accordance with the pattern that we find in the New Testament. The prophet is first of all a minister of the gospel. So you'll find prophets teaching, preaching. You'll find prophets pastoring churches. But as God wills, they can then stand in the office of a prophet and start operating in that office. But it is not something that they turn on and off as they want. But you'll find that they will operate in that office far more. Watch this now. We need to then understand that there's a difference between a prophet and somebody prophesying. When we prophesy, we speak to men for edification, exhortation, and comfort. Now, a prophet can also prophesy in that sense, speak to men for edification, comfort, and exhortation. But another thing that defines a prophet is that they will speak for the mind of God concerning the future as well. They know things concerning the future because God at that time gives them an insight into his mind and they can speak by the voice of God and say, this is coming. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Are you understanding what I'm saying? In the morning service, they were confused. Are you less confused than them? Are you all okay? Just check your neighbor for me. Are they sleeping or are they confused or do they understand what I'm saying? All right. All right. Now, I want to close this because our time is gone. 
But I want to close it by us going to a very, very important scripture. And we're going to read it for you in the NIV Bible. In Acts chapter 21. Let's recap. Remember, a prophet is first of all a minister of the gospel. Let me, let me go through several things. Secondly, a prophet will have the gift of prophecy. According to 1 Corinthians 12.10. Number three, a prophet must be appointed by God. They are called by God. You can't call yourself to be a prophet. Huh? You can't have somebody prophesy over you and tell you that you are a prophet. If they prophesy over you and you, it's the first time you are hearing it, stay away from it. Nobody can make anybody a prophet. They can't pour oil on you and make you a prophet. They can't throw you into a training school for six weeks and then you come out a prophet. I see some of you don't want to say amen, but I will say amen for you. Right? So a prophet, thirdly we said, is a minister of the gospel. They are called in to be a minister of the gospel. Number three, a, a, a prophet must exhibit a life of holiness and humility. Being a prophet doesn't set you apart and put you at such a level that nobody can speak into your life and nobody can challenge you about your lifestyle. There's nobody, none of us, Barcelona, who is out of that framework. All of us must be held accountable with our preaching, our teaching. I'm talking about those of us in ministry. Our lifestyle. Yes. We've got to come under accountability. We must be under authority. And, and if anybody sets themselves above that and they say they are so anointed by God and they are so appointed by God that there is nobody who can speak into their life, there's something that's wrong. You see, God is not fallible. God doesn't have mistakes. The gifts of God don't have problems. The gifts of God are pure in nature. The anointing of God is pure in nature. The problem is the vessel. Us. Yeah, and God works through these vessels. Paul says we have this treasure in, 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 in earthen vessels. The problem is not God. The problem is us. So when we, when we judge or when we, when we put things under authority, when we check, we are not trying to check out the authenticity of God. No, 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 no. God is authentic. God is number one. Mara, we are understanding that the vessel... And that is why when Paul speaks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and he says, if there are prophets in the church, and one of them stands up to prophesy, the others who are present must judge what the prophet is saying. They are not judging the prophet, they are judging what the prophet is saying. So if you meet any prophet who says, Bona, they are so anointed and so appointed by God, they have so much of a double portion, triple portion, thousand portion anointing, and they, you, you don't qualify to even make an opinion or say anything, stay away. Yeah. Or you meet any prophet who prophesies things or says things that you cannot trace to the Bible. And they claim to have such revelation. When you say, where is it in the Bible? They say, I have grown beyond that thing. Look at somebody and say, stay away. Yeah. Got to stay away. Got to stay away. This is where many people have been hurt. And because somebody comes to us in the name of the Lord, you know, 
And they know how to look anointed. So because you, we are afraid, you know, we are afraid to disobey God. So somebody comes and says stuff. And when they say it, you can hear, Marai, Marai, no way we will. You know, I know people who've left their wives, left their husbands, because some prophet told them to. The Lord is doing a new thing. People who've invested in businesses, sold things, people who've jumped into ministry, because the Lord. So, you know, we were afraid. We were afraid. So the prophet must live a holy life. Also, watch this. The prophet must be willing to have their prophecies judged. First Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29. Don't ever let people use the fear tactic on you. We read about the Christians in Berea. When Paul and Silas preached, they said before it, I got I got chance. check. And any authentic minister of the gospel will not mind when people check. I mean, if we're preaching God's word, why should, we, why should it bother us when people check? And if people want to differ, if they can show us in the Bible or no, 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 food is, what you're saying is not in the Bible, why should we have a problem? Oh, somebody said, no, I'm speaking by the authority of heaven. And then you are afraid to even check. Let's be like the Christians in Berea. What do you say, Vazal? And say, you know what? I, I just want to go and check. Yeah, you, you quoted the scripture there and you said according to it. Just want to go and check. You know, because I found out God doesn't get upset if you want to have more understanding. And for some of you, maybe I should tell you, God is not in a hurry either. I get a lot of hurry, hurry, causes worry, worry. But sometimes the people say, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. So you start doing things, even if you don't understand, you're not comfortable inside, you can't find any scripture, and you are, you are, you are, you are, hurry, 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 hurry. If you don't do it, God will. How many of you are sitting next to somebody who's full of hurry, hurry, and now they're into worry, worry? Look at them and say, hey, try that, I'm going to go Have you found Acts chapter 9 yet? Let's close with this. This is going to help us. In Acts chapter 9, we have a very interesting and very telling scripture from verse 11. Uh, excuse me, excuse me. Acts chapter 21, sorry. You don't expect me to make mistakes because I'm anointed. Look at your neighbor and say, Acts chapter 21 from verse 8. Eight. All right. It says, living the next day, we reached Caesarea. This is Paul and his company. Paul and Natamali, several people. We reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. Just tick there. How many of you remember in, in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, when the apostles in Jerusalem realized that there were too many people and the church was growing, they could not serve tables. How was that? Some of you got a little bit by it. And the Bible says, it's Acts chapter 7, then they, it says, and the apostle said 
Brethren, it's not good for us to leave the word of God and serve tables. Choose ye from among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. So they chose the seven. Among them was Stephen and then Philip. So when we read in Acts chapter 21, this is several years later. We are catching up on that guy who used to be a deacon, Philip. You remember that the next time we read about Philip? We read about Philip in Acts chapter 8. Where when persecution came to the church in Jerusalem, the Bible says the disciples were scattered everywhere. And Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people of the city were filled with joy. Seeing demons coming out of them. And many who were sick were healed. So we see this guy who was a deacon or an usher. He went to Samaria and he started preaching. What happened to this guy? Well, it appears as though as he was serving in the things of God. He got to a point where God called him into ministry and made an evangelist out of him. Because what happened in the life of Philip is exactly what happens in the office of an evangelist. Signs and wonders happen to Philip. Oh, are you there, Bazalana? This is why in the things of God, you can grow from one level to the other. You can start as an usher and then you become an evangelist. Hey. But it comes through serving. We grow, we develop, and, and God sends us. And, God, and then now we read about him. Now here he is. He is in Caesarea. So they stay in his house. Philip the evangelist, that's why he one of the seven. I could have reminded you which seven. I said, I don't seven. Give that other seven, Next verse. Now, verse nine. I love it. He had four unmarried daughters. Who did what? Who did what? I was read it for me. Who did what? Who did what? Watch. He didn't say he had four unmarried daughters who were prophets. It said who prophesied. So in other words, they operated in this gift of exhortation, comfort, and edification. That gift was more prevalent in their lives. Because you know there are certain gifts that are more prevalent in your life. But that they operated as that doesn't mean they were prophets. They just prophesied. Are you there? Like some of you, you know, God, some of you, you say, and this is the mistake people make. Because you are prophesying, next thing you think you're a prophet. So you start a school of prophets. Or you start a ministry of the prophetic encounter of the latter rain in Jerusalem of Salem, via Orlando of Rockville, in Pimfield of Grace Bible Church, because of Samaria. Ministries. International. Or the prophet of the latter rain. <laughs> of the formerly disenfranchised, disadvantaged, something, something. So, yeah, so because people see certain gifts prevalent, but I'm being honest with you. Before I was called into ministry as a pastor, there are gifts that operated in my life more regularly. Every one of us. There's gifts in your life that operate more regularly. But remember, it's by the Spirit of God. They are there by the Spirit of God. And they operate as the Spirit wills. So the four daughters, they operated more in that gift. They prophesied. Okay, let's continue. Next verse. I love verse 10. Verse 10 here. 
after we had been there a number of days. A what? A what? A what? A what? A what? A prophet named who? Came to Judea. Now note. Next verse. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Now watch this. The practice in these days was like it happens, you know, in many other countries of the world where they have under floor heating and so on and it's very cold and, and then you've seen on, on, on movies you know you find them when they come into your house with all these coats they take off the coat and hang it on a door somewhere have you, have you seen that kind of thing have you seen that how 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 so it was the same practice in the days of Paul and Silas that when they came into places, they would take their girdles off and whatever they had and hang it somewhere. So picture this. Here is Paul, okay? Silas and many of the other people, they are there. They've come to Caesarea to preach the gospel. They went to the house of, of Philip. They had Pablo Meda, you know, just visiting. So the prophet Agabus comes in and he sees all these belts over there. Okay? Everybody's put their belt there. Okay? He wasn't there when they took their belts off and put them there and put their coats there. He wasn't there. But as the prophet had walks in at that time, God gives him his mind. God shows him things that are coming. Huh? And the prophet goes straight to the right belt huh? and takes that belt because he's prophesying. Because sometimes prophecy, and you'll, you'll see it, when prophets prophesy, they use pictures and similes and, and symbols. We'll talk about it. They use pictures and symbols. And so he, he goes to, to, to the belt, yeah, 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 Paul, and, and he wouldn't have known it was Paul's belt. You know, it's almost like and somebody comes in, he wouldn't know which katiba belongs to who. Or better still can get you What a shock. You, you, you don't want me to do that. You don't want me to do that. Can I, can I do that as an illustration? I just feel an anointing just to come and take the wings. <laughs> Forgive. <laughs> Some of you, you just woke up right there, I tell you. <laughs> Now you are attentive. Eh? You <laughs> watch all things. Watch thou unto all things. Now note, 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 note. Next verse. Verse 12 says, verse 12 says, And when, he heard, when we heard this, and the people there, we pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So I said, Paul, Paul you, you're going to get killed over there. Look what the prophet has done. Next verse. I love Paul. Then Paul answered and said, Why are you weeping? Breaking my heart. I'm ready. Not just to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now watch this now. Watch, 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 watch. Watch. Go with me to Acts chapter 9. I want to show you something. 
You remember Paul was persecuting Christians? He got a letter from, this is before, before now, when he was still Saul, back then, in his early days. He's persecuting Christians as Saul. He has a letter from the leaders, and he is going to Damascus to go and persecute the Christians, and he has a letter to do that. And on his way to Damascus, he has an encounter with God. The power of God throws him down. You remember the story, now? And he is struck blind in Damascus, and so he gets up from the floor. And he is taken to a house in Damascus. And he is there for three days. He's blind. He doesn't know what is happening. Whilst that is happening, God finds somebody. Go with me then to Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Saul got up from the ground. When his eyes was opened, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus. So we are together, ne? We are agreed. I'm right, ne? I'm not quoting you from First Imaginations chapter 7, verse 11. Verse 11 to so is this correct? Because we're on the same page. Next verse. Verse 9. It says, for, for three days he was blind. He didn't eat. He didn't drink anything. Keep, keep scrolling, please. All right. In Damascus, where Paul is, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. This is somebody else, somewhere else in Damascus. He says, Ananias. Ananias says, yes, Lord. Here I am, he answered. Verse 11. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on straight street. God knows your street. <laughs> ah. Yeah. You are boasting to us about your navigator. God can navigate even better. He says, go to the house of Judas. He even knows whose house it is. Hmm? Better than Google. <laughs> go to the Google map. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. Watch this, ne? Paul, Saul is praying this side. God is sorting out stuff this side. I tell you the way God works. Yeah. When you are praying this side, God is preparing the answer this side. Hey! Oh! He says, behold, he's praying. Note, note, he says, in a vision. So Paul is praying. God says, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias. So God introduces Saul to Ananias and Ananias to Saul. He has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him. To restore his sight. Ah. Lord answered Ananias. I have heard many reports about this man. And all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Verse 14. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And again, verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Watch, watch verse 16 and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Watch. From day one when Paul was called by God, God showed him what would happen in his future. So many years later, when he is in the house of Philip, and the prophet comes and says, thus says the Holy Ghost, this is what they will do to you. Paul says, well, it's not the first time I'm hearing it. 
So prophet Agabus, you are not telling me something I don't know. What you are saying, prophet, it is not revelation. It is confirmation. And that's where people miss it. When the New Testament prophet prophesies to you concerning your personal life, what you will be hearing will not be new to you. In the Old Testament, the reason it was new to them is because they didn't have the Spirit of God in them. They were not born again at all. They had to consult the prophet because they didn't have the Spirit of God. They couldn't know what God is saying. But the Bible tells me about you and I, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. So when a prophet comes and says that, says the Lord to me and tells me about the direction of my life it will not be the first time but when he tells me something I don't know I say prophet I'm sorry I'm not going there yeah Yeah. big difference with the prophet now in the Old Testament they had to consult the prophet to get direction because they didn't have the spirit of God in them in the New Testament we don't consult the prophet to get direction because we already know and, 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 and many prophecies I received I already knew I may not have known the details but I knew it was in that area and that's how you judge if they're telling you something you're hearing for the first time put it on the shelf don't even pray about it don't even try to go and consult somebody to say, what does this mean? What does a shoe mean? What does a toad mean? What does a dog mean? What does a dove mean? Some of you, you, you are so deep in these things. You want all these similes. If, if it's a dove that is facing the east, it means the Holy Spirit will come up. And we get in trouble because, you know, people, you know, and Barcelona, the problem with some of these things, and I, please understand me. Please understand, this is very important. Sometimes you can be so steeped in these things that you, 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 you create a situation in your life where you bind yourself. And you can't move anymore. You can't be free. Because when you see a dove goes, you know, it means this. When, when the sun comes from the east, you say, and you just can't operate. See, so, so people think, if you are really walking in the spirit, you must just be this spaced out person. I hope you're not sitting next to somebody like that right now. See, when the New Testament prophet prophesies, they confirm. It's something else when they are prophesying about the nation. Because in that case, it has nothing to do with you on a personal level. But in terms of personal prophecy, and I'm going to show you during this series seven ways you can judge personal prophecy. Seven ways. And it will be a blessing to you. How many of you are glad you came to church today? Let's give the Lord. I'm glad I came to church. I'm glad. I, I, I don't know about you, but I'm glad. The entrance of God's word brings light and gives understanding to the simple. How many of you can say thy word is a lamp to my feet, a light on my path. I'm not walking in darkness. I'm walking in the way of the Lord. I'm walking in the light and I'm moving. How many of you say I'm moving from glory to glory, from faith to faith, 
moving in my understanding and my knowledge of the things of God. Oh yeah. And God brings light. And God brings understanding. I tell you, when God spoke to me about this series, I was so grateful, Bazala. Because there's so much damage and so much harm that's done. And remember, God's given us prophets. We need them. And you'll see, Bazala, I'm not promoting him. But Dr. Noaka is someone I've worked with for more than 25 years. Not just me, other people in other parts of the world. See, people say the proof of the pudding is in the eating. Jesus said, by their fruit, you will know them. And even when it comes to our church, I never say to him, do you have a word for me? What, 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 what is the Lord saying? What can you see in my future? He prophesies as and when the spirit wills. Because that's how it works. I thank God for the move of his spirit these days. We used to sing a song many years ago. I know it's an old song. But you join me as I sing it. God is moving by His Spirit. Moving all over the earth. Signs and wonders when God's moving, moving How many of you want to see God moving in your life? Eh? <laughs> Raise your hands and say, God, by His Spirit, He's moving. Movie Signs and wonders When God is moving He's moving Moving You father, praise, praise you, father, praise you, Jesus, praise him, praise him, signs and wonders. Just worship the Lord everyone. God move in your life. Father, we want to move in the flow of the Holy Ghost. We don't want to lock you out in our lives. But we want to move in the spirit of truth and not the spirit of error. Oh God, we want to experience the fullness of what you have in store for the church. We don't want to lock
lock ourselves in places where we cannot experience a move and a touch of God. And this is what we pray today.